Larry brought up last, uh, well, a couple weeks ago, I think it was, uh, Isaiah 45. And uh thought we might look at some verses here in Isaiah 45 this morning. Uh, particularly, if you would, turn over to the 45th chapter of Isaiah. Particularly, uh, I want to talk... Uh, Look maybe at uh, (coughs) verses uh, really the whole chapter is is an amazing chapter but uh, my thoughts this morning kind of begin about verse 20 and reading down Isaiah chapter 45 and starting at verse 20 It says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Now, as I mentioned, the 45th chapter here is a very rich chapter as this whole book of Isaiah is a very rich book. I've always said that uh, Isaiah <coughs> is the Romans of the Old Testament. Um, in this portion of scripture, uh, I mainly want to uh, look at the fact of the Lord being our righteousness. Now, I preached on that phrase, the Lord our righteousness, months back. I don't remember exactly how long it is. But it's a reoccurring theme throughout scripture. Matter of fact, it is the very heart of the gospel itself, I would say. The heart of the gospel is the Lord is our righteousness. Our righteousness is from the Lord. Our righteousness is not something that the Lord gives us to do. Our righteousness is not a set of rules as we just sung in the hymn a minute ago. It is not a a list of legal rules that we have to abide by. That's not what walking in righteousness is. Walking in righteousness is walking looking unto Jesus, trusting on Christ Jesus, 
hoping in Christ Jesus, who himself is our righteousness, who has worked out all righteousness on our behalf. And so that is uh, the heart of the gospel, I believe. Uh, the heart of the gospel is not you accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The, the heart of the gospel isn't Jesus or God loves everybody, Jesus died for everybody. That's not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. I know we harp on that week after week after week, but brethren, we can't preach the gospel without preaching the fact that men can do nothing and Christ has done everything for us. Now, I would say at the outset here, and especially in light of uh, <clears throat> what we see before us as it pertains to the 25th verse, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. Again, we come back to these uh, these issues of, is this talking about physical Israel, or is this talking about spiritual Israel? And again, we see that this, uh, again, is a foreshadowing or a type of the true Israel, which is the true Israel, the Israel that uh, Christ has come to redeem, the Israel that is the one who is his bride is the people of God from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. Not just those of ethnic Israel, but those of the Jews and the Gentiles. That's who the true Israel is. Now we see this says, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Now we know this isn't talking about physical Israel because not all of physical Israel were justified. Uh, they were not part of the new covenant. There were the elect out of Israel, as Paul uh, so clearly puts it in Romans chapter 9, that not all that are of Israel are Israel, meaning that not all that are of physical Israel are of that true and spiritual Israel. Only the elect among Israel have obtained the promises of Abraham, as does the Gentiles, the elect among the Gentiles. God has an elect out of every nation, out of every tribe. And those elect out of all of the four corners of the earth make up the one true Israel. And so that's what we see in view here, is the Lord, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Now I know this is the last verse in the passage that I just read, but that's what I wanted to start with because I believe that is the foundation for everything that we've seen before that. The salvation of Jehovah by the work of the Messiah was always, from the very beginning before the foundation of the earth, was always intended to be of both Jew and Gentile. The salvation of Jehovah and the Messiah's work as Redeemer was never intended to be just for the Jews. Now I know that's the mindset of a lot of people. I know that's the mindset still of the Jews. Is that that's their Messiah and that's their salvation and they're going to be brought back into this this thing, but that is not the the uh, work and the outflow of the new covenant. The new covenant has always encompassed people from every uh, 
generation and from every nation. Okay? And so, I believe this is a foundational statement here. And I think we can see the outworkings of this throughout the passage. Number one, we see... Matter of fact, before, before I move on to that, I just want to put forth that. Turn back, if you would, to the 42nd chapter of Isaiah. whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So we see here that the Gentiles was to be included in the covenant with the Jews. Of course, we can go to several places in the New Testament and we can see where uh, in the new, under the new covenant, in the kingdom of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Uh, there is no, neither rich nor poor. There is neither male nor female. Meaning that there is no distinctions of one above the other or anybody in particular in the elect true Israel of God. That we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one people. If you, would, if you would have it, one nation, one city, one people. And so, in the Israel of God, there isn't going to be these distinctions that people want to make. Right now, they're looking for a kingdom where there is the Jews that are going to be elevated and the rest of the nations. That's not a new covenant teaching. That is not a fuller revelation teaching that Jesus and the apostles uh, brought forth. Um, this teaching uh, that we are looking at this morning encompasses Jew and Gentile alike because there is now the middle wall of partition has been broken down and that all of the blessings of, of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Therefore, everyone who is in Christ Jesus and we find in the New Testament, we see that everyone who is of the faith of Abraham is in Christ Jesus, is a part of the promise, is the children of the promise. So that goes to the Jew and to the Gentile. And so we see that Christ came not only as a judgment for the Jew, but as a judgment for the Gentile. And so his work of redemption, his, his work of obedience, and his work of payment under the law for sins was not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Now, um, we see here it says, uh, back to our passage, it says, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. It's in the Lord that we're justified, brethren. We aren't justified by anything that we do. We've talked about that quite extensively uh, here. Uh, we speak of it all the time. Justification is a work that is done outside of us, apart from us, no conditions upon us to be justified. And I know that there are uh, many of those, even among sovereign grace circles, that talk about justification being tied to our believing. 
But justification isn't about our believing. As far as the legal work of, of uh, uh, removal of guilt or removal of sin, uh, the uh, legal transaction uh, of substitution, the uh, work of assurity, uh, the, the taking away of the, uh, 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 of the guilt that is, that is ours. Truly, we have the guilt. We've sinned, right? Uh, we have that guilt. We are guilty of sin. Therefore, in our ledger, in our column, it, there was sin there. But because of Christ Jesus being our surety and the imputation of righteousness, what's stamped in our column is not guilty. Even though in reality, we are guilty. But yet we are declared, we are considered, we are reckoned, not guilty. Although all the guilt is there, we are reckoned before God as not guilty, and it's because of the substitution of Christ Jesus on our behalf and the imputation of His righteousness to us. Not the impartation, the imputation. The word imputation is a legal term that means that's just laid to one's account. It doesn't mean that He has made us actually righteous in ourselves where we no longer sin or no longer are, uh, have the capability of sinning or have the capability of doing righteous works. That is not what that means. Imputation is merely a transactional word that means that we are counted as. His righteousness is counted as our righteousness. So before God... Whenever he looks at us, he sees us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So our justification before God isn't by any work that we do, whether it be an actual walking in rules and regulations, or whether it's believing on him for all of our salvation. That's not what justifies us. Now, the fact that I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is justification that I have been justified. Before, so the justification before men that I have been justified is seen in the work of believing. Whenever I believe, whenever I hope in Christ Jesus as my only righteousness and everything, that is a justification that I have been justified already by God. So justification isn't something that comes in onesies and twosies. Justification was a transactional thing over all the people of God at one time. We were all justified. And it says right here, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. If you look at Isaiah 53, I'm going to turn over there quickly. <clears throat> It says uh, in uh, 53, uh, 11, He shall see the travail of his soul, and she be, shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. In bearing their iniquities, <clears throat> the many are justified. So that's why we believe in a particular redemption. We don't believe in a universal 
redemption. We don't believe in a um, universal atonement. We don't believe in a uh, that Jesus died for everybody. Okay, we believe that Jesus died for only the ones that Christ gave him from the foundation of the world. And is these are the ones. And, and the reason we believe that isn't because we just want to say, well, you know, Jesus loves us and He doesn't love you. Okay, that's not the reason. The reason we say that is because of what Scripture says here. Because everybody for whom Jesus died, they're justified. Justification comes as the result, not a condition to be to be worked up, but it came as a result of the death of Christ. That was the transaction. The death of Christ was the transaction that made God the just and the justifier. He could justify sinners because Christ died on their behalf. So therefore, justification by faith is not by your faith, by your believing, my believing. It was by Christ's faithfulness, His faith. That is what justified us. Because that is what is imputed to us. His faithfulness. We were in Him. This is why verse 25 says, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. We're only justified in the Lord. We're not justified by word. Matter of fact, the Bible says, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. No flesh is ever going to be justified by the deeds of the law. Now, I take kind of a different understanding of that than some. Some mainly look at that as <clears throat> that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified because nobody can keep the law. And that is true. And I believe that that is part of what that is saying. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So that means there is no ability for anybody of Adam to be justified by law-keeping. No matter how much you think you're keeping it, you're not keeping it because by the deeds of the law, no flesh is going to be justified by that. But I think there's another side to that. It never was intended to justify. The law was never intended and was never given to justify anybody that God never, ever was going to justify anybody by law-keeping. Those of Adam. He surely justified us through the law-keeping of Jesus Christ. But he never intended for those of Adam to ever be justified by law. So not only do we have the inability, but the law was never given for the purpose of justifying the law, the purpose of the law was given to make guilty, to show and manifest the sin that was in us. That's what Romans 5 and verse 20 says. The law came in that the offense might abound. The law came in to show us our inability, to show us our sinfulness, to show us that we cannot achieve the righteousness that God requires. That we cannot be perfect as He is perfect. That we cannot be holy as He is holy in and of ourselves. Therefore, because we who are enabled 
who have not perfection, who have not a righteousness of our own, the only way that we can be accepted of God is for a foreign righteousness, an outside righteousness, an outside obedience, an outside law-keeping be given to us and placed on our account and be considered as if it was us doing it. That's the only way that God can be just and the justifier of them who are sinful and evil and wicked. Because the Bible says that God will not justify the wicked. He will not acquit the wicked. He is not going to turn a blind eye to sin. He is not going to turn uh, his head and just under the table say, all right, we'll let them in because they're Jews. Let them in because they did this or did that. Whatever your condition you want to put on it, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's anything, God's not going to turn a blind eye because He is a just God. That's why that verse says He is both the just and the justifier. He is just in His judgment and He is the justifier of the those who are evil and wicked who have been given to Christ and because of what Christ did on their behalf, He can justify them because someone paid their penalty and someone lived the obedience for them. They lived in perfection. They died the death that was theirs to die. Therefore, those people who were given to Christ, whom He substituted, <clears throat> are counted as those who lived and died. Therefore, He can justify and still be just because His righteous justice was satisfied. God was satisfied. That's why He's saying. He's seen the travail of Christ's soul and was satisfied with that on behalf of those that He justified. I can justify those people because a just payment was made. I can look on those people as fully obeying the law because a just righteousness has been established. And as their representative, as their surety, as their proxy, everyone for whom he died, everyone for whom he lived, is just. When it says, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. But it goes on and says, and shall glory. We shall be justified in him. But what is the language? What is the heart? What is the worship of those who are justified? It is to glory in him. We don't glory in ourselves. We don't glory in our pedigree. We don't glory, you know... <clears throat> You see, that there, matter of fact, brother, if you look, a lot of the Protestant Reformed belief about covenantism and the Jews are really close together. The Jews believe because they are descendants of Abraham, they have the promise given to them. Where the Protestant Reformed, they believe if you're a child of a Christian, then your kid's automatically brought in, which came from Catholicism as well. But it's not got anything to do with anybody's pedigree. Not of the flesh, not of the will of the man, not of anybody. has nothing to do with that. We don't glory in anything except the Lord. Why do I continue to preach these things week after week after week after week? Because our glory is in the Lord. I can't ever glory in Michael Smith. If I tried to glory in myself, I would 
quickly, quickly find myself falling short. Therefore, there is no glory due to my name. <clears throat> if I gloried in any one of y'all here, I would soon be let down because every one of us are going to fall short. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned. That's why the Bible says that's why God has consigned all Jew and Gentile under sin. So that no tongue can boast. So that no one can raise their hand and say, I got it because I. I got it because we. I got it because they. We can't do that. The only thing that we can say is what has made me to differ is Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that's caused us to differ. The only thing that makes me different than those people across the street over there is that Christ has made me to differ. Look if you would with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 65. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Again, this is Jew and Gentile alike are part of this. Verse 65, it says, verse 1, he says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. Now, I could take that in a couple different directions here. We could, we could talk about Jew-Gentile again. I'm sought by them who are the Gentiles. And I think, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, brother, you can correct me or someone can, there's New Testament passages that even make that distinction. I was sought by them that did not, and, and, and that is attributed to Gentiles. But this right here could talk about every child of grace. Every one of us, we're not seeking after the Lord. None of us were asking for the Lord. He says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found in them that suck. Now, before I go on, let me just make a clarification because there's going to be some smart aleck, I'm sure, somewhere that's going to say, well, that's not true. I was asking of the Lord. I sought after the Lord. What about all these people that are seeking the Lord? Well, don't the Bible say, seek and ye shall find? Ask and it shall be opened up to you? Brethren, listen, we got to take the Bible in its full context. Absolutely, there are those who seek and find. There are those who, who ask and it was given. There are those who do that. But the context is this. There are none that do that naturally. The only ones who do that, do that spiritually. They do that because they have been spiritually given to do so. See, those who are dead in trespasses and sin, those who have not the Spirit of God in them, those who have yet to be born of God, do not seek after God. Now, they seek after a God, and they seek after a Jesus, and they seek after a religious system, but the God, Jesus, gospel of the Bible, they don't seek after. 
They don't seek after the particular redemption. They don't seek after the sovereign God who controls all things, including sin and evil, who has predestinated all things, including sin and evil. They don't care about the God who says, I won't accept anything that you do, but only what he has done. See, they don't like that God. They don't like that Jesus. They don't like that gospel. That's not the gospel. Brother James Gugio uh, made a quote earlier this week, and I reposted on there. It says, everybody loves Jesus until we start talking about the real Jesus. Once you start talking about the real Jesus, once you start talking about the God of the Bible and the salvation of the Bible, the gospel of the Bible, then all of a sudden people aren't too interested in that. They want the Armenian religion. They want the Armenian outlook. And I don't care if you're Hindu, if you're Muslim, if you're uh, New Age, or, or, or if you're uh, quote-unquote Protestant Christian, whatever it is. All of it is based in a free will. All of it is based in a decision. All of it is based in some sort of a conditional works salvation. People want that because that's our default. But they do not want God. But the people of God, those who sought Him and asked for me not, and found them that sought me not, I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. Now again, this is talking about Israel actually in context here. God called Israel out of all the nations. They weren't looking for him. Abraham was not looking for God. He was an idolater in the uh, uh, in in Ur of the Chaldees, he was not altered. wasn't looking for anything. wasn't seeking after God. And the people was not. As they began to form as Hebrews, they did not. But he says here, I have spread my hands out all the day to rebellious people which walketh in a way. That was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things is in their vessels which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose and fire that burneth all day. Behold, it is written, before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your father, together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one said, Destroy it not, for blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. <clears throat> now, we see that God has brought out a people for himself, not only out of the Jews, but out of the 
Gentiles. We were not called, or we were not seeking, we were not coming, but notice, if you would, it is not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. In uh, John chapter 1, In John chapter 1, verse, uh, uh, verse 29, John the Baptist says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he's not talking about, again, we've got to keep in context, you know, the word world is used many ways, the word cosmos, is word is used many ways in the New Testament. And each context, or each passage has to be seen within its context. And we see that Jesus didn't die and take the sin away from all the world. Jesus took the sin away from all the world, meaning head for head, every man, woman, and child, then that means every man, woman, child sins has been removed, and there is no, there is there, there, there's no condemnation towards them. All of them are saved. See, that's why I've always mentioned that I actually have more respect uh, for the universalist who believes that everybody is going to be saved than I do for the Arminian who believes that Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody is saved. That there are some that's going to be in hell that Jesus died for. At least the universalist understands that Jesus Christ's death is effectual, meaning that it has an effect. The people for whom he died are saved. But see, neither one of those are true according to Scripture because we know that Jesus died for specific people that God had given him. And that those people, and the word world there means from every every nation, out of out of the world, out of all the world, Christ has an elect that He has died for. Therefore, all the world is representative in the elect of God. But it says here that He has taken away the sin of the world. So this salvation that Christ has uh, uh, done, this salvation of Jehovah, this work of Messiah is a work that has been done on behalf of Jew and Gentile alike, and that is the removal of sin. Well, if there is a removal of the condemnation of sin, then that means there is a justification. There has to be a justification to remove sin. The only way that a just judge can remove the condemnation of sin is for there to be a justified reason for doing so. And the reason for God removing the the uh, the condemnation of sin that is over all of His elect's head is the fact that it has been removed and it was removed in the man Jesus Christ. If you're still there in the New Testament, look if you would at 1 Corinthians. <coughs> One Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> I'm going to start reading. Uh, I'm going to start reading. Reading 
uh, in verse 17, Paul here writing to the Gentile Corinthian church, wrote this, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't baptize. We know Paul did baptize. So Paul isn't saying here that that's not my job to baptize, necessarily, that I never baptized anybody. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that I am, and I, for Christ sent me not to baptize, because the passage before that, he talked about baptizing the house, hold of Stephanus. Uh, so we know that he, he baptized. But he said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, just a side note on that, I believe that he's making a distinction there that he, as the apostle, he was not a pastor of a church and therefore was not involved in the daily affairs and the daily workings of the church, local churches. That he was an apostle called to go preach the gospel to the people of God and to establish the churches in the faith as revealed by Christ Jesus. Okay? That's what he told the Galatians, that all those things was revealed to him by Christ, and that he is establishing them. The Galatian church was established in the faith because of what Paul had been uh, uh, revealed uh, by Christ Jesus, as did the other apostles. That's why it's important for us to understand that whenever Jesus came and began to teach, he began to teach that fuller revelation of the things that is contained in the Old Testament that were hidden in mystery, that were hidden in shadow. Christ became the teacher of the things that were the fuller revelation of what those meant spiritually in his spiritual kingdom to his spiritual people. And therefore, that's why he had the apostles, who he says was laid as the foundation of the church, and then the church that he began to form upon that foundation, him being the chief cornerstone, the Bible says, is the pillar and the ground of truth. Therefore, there is once the, the faith is once delivered unto the saints, and that was at that time, and therefore the church has perpetually, through generation after generation after generation, perpetuated that faith, that body of doctrine, that fuller revelation of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ has begun to perpetuate that through every generation. Not necessarily in a chain link succession of churches, but in the people of God being gathered in every generation as God has saved them and brought them to knowledge and grew them in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. <clears throat> but Paul, writing to these, says, oh, and back to the baptism. It was, those who were saved were baptized among the people in that congregation. So, yeah, Paul wasn't sent to do the baptizing. He wasn't in charge of baptizing. He was in charge of preaching. The church baptized the people as the Lord added to the church. Or as the Lord uh, uh, brought in the disciples. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. Notice, it's the power of God to those who are already saved. Not to get them saved, but already saved. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Now, who are the ones that are saved by the preaching of the gospel? Them who already believe. Those who are already believers. So what is this salvation talking about? Saving them from the error. Saving them from false doctrine. Saving them from wrong teaching. They're being saved from hearing the wrong doctrine. That's what this is. God, uh, It was pleased that God, by the foolishness of preaching, would save them from those erroneous things. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified... Under the Jews, a stumbling block, it's still a stumbling block to them today. And under the Greeks, it's foolishness. Why? Because they believe that everything is done by wisdom and, and smarts. But unto them which are called, notice, to them that are called. Who are the ones who are called? The ones who were elected before the foundation of the world. The ones who in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10... The Bible says, who are called, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That is who we're talking about. The called, the elect of God, those whom the Father gave to Christ before the foundation of the world. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are Despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? Why has God done it this way? So that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him. See, we're going back to our passage again in 45. In the Lord there is righteousness, and the people of God that, re- that received that righteousness to their account, glory in it. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. See, we didn't get into Christ Jesus by our believing. That's what the Reformers teach. The Reformers teach that we are put into Christ in our faith, by faith. We are united to Christ. Okay? We are in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, I think, is very clear on that. That we are put in Christ Jesus. We are united to Him in union with Him with an eternal vital union before the foundation of the world. It says, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. Well, that definitely excludes any boasting on our part, right? Excludes any glorying in the flesh because if we are in Him because of Him, then that means it wasn't because of us. 
but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God. <coughs> and here it is. Is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The justified ones, the righteous ones, the ones who are the Lord's, the elect, the Israel of God, they see that their righteousness is the Lord and they glory in Him. That's why we preach Christ and Him crucified. We don't preach in the continuation of the Old Covenant. We don't preach in uh, the free willism and the decisionism of the Arminian. We don't preach to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, uh, gospels, the easy believisms. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach a foreign righteousness. We preach something that is freely given to us. Now, with that being said, let's turn now back to uh, the book of Jeremiah. I want to show you something here that I mentioned way back when when I preached on the phrase the, righteous, uh, the Lord our righteousness. Um, something that I find very intriguing as it pertains to our union in Christ Jesus and why we glory in it. Jeremiah chapter 23 and look if you would in verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now we know that this righteous branch is speaking of Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the righteous branch of David. Now these terms are, uh, it doesn't mean that he's a physical descendant of David. Okay? Uh, it means that in position as king, he is the king of Israel. Meaning spiritual Israel. Right? Now he's the king of all things, but particularly as it pertains here, he is the king of Israel. He shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice in the earth. Brethren, that has already taken place now. That isn't something that we're looking for in the future. Christ ascended David's throne in his resurrection. Acts tells us that. The book of Acts tells us that the ascension of David or Christ to David's throne was the foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we got to let the we got to let the New Testament uh, dictate to us this full revelation dictate to us what we see in the Old Testament. Now uh, that was in. Uh, 
Acts chapter 2. Look, if you would, at verse 29. Men and brethren, let this is Peter speaking. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended up into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto the Lord, my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. So we see here the ascension of Christ to David's throne was <coughs> in his resurrection. Verse 6, back in Jeremiah again, 23. In his days, Judah shall be saved. Now we know that Judah speaks of all the believing ones of God. That's what the word, that's what the term Judah is referring to, is all those who believe on Christ. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So we see that Christ here is seen as the Lord our righteousness. But if you would, look with me at chapter 33. And beginning in verse 15, the Bible gives us another glimpse of this union in Christ Jesus and His righteousness. Jeremiah 33, look at verse 15. It says, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness, that's Christ, to grow up unto David as a king, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. Now this is basically saying the same thing what I just read, right? verse 23. But now look what it says here. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now notice it went from speaking in Jeremiah uh, 23 to Jeremiah 33. It went from speaking of Christ being the righteousness to now our name being the Lord our righteousness. But that seems to be contradictory because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. As it speaks of those of Adam. There is none righteous. They have all gone astray. They have all went out of the way. They're quick to shed blood. They're evil. 
Their heart is continually evil always. There is none good. But yet here it says that this people, these particular people, who was saved when? <coughs> the day In the days of the branch that was brought up. So that tells me that it is Christ who is the one who did the saving. It is the Christ, it is based upon the work of that man. And that they are saved. It isn't a future thing that is being waiting for that are being waiting for, that we are waiting for. That it was done judicially by this man, in this man, corporately for all of those within Judah, within Israel. Then will I cast away the seed of Jacob. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong spot. Uh, 15. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. It says, For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. That means... That David shall shall never have a want of having a king. At that time, there was kings that came and went, came and went, came and went. Some were good, some were bad. Some were good, some were bad. But here, he's talking about this king is going to be king forever. There will be no change in his kingliness, in his kinghood, in his rule. He will be king forever. And David won't have to worry about is there going to be another after him that may not be righteous. That he is going to be the righteous king and he is going to be established forever. David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. He is always going to be the king of the house of Israel. Verse 18, Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice sacrifice continually. What is it what does that mean? Will this righteous branch and the work that he comes to do on behalf of Judah Israel the Bible says here is a one time work that does not have to be continually done like the priests and Levites did of that day, burning continually, sacrificing continually. Is that not what Hebrews tells us? That with one sacrifice, He has perfected them? That with His one death, all the other sacrifices have been done away with? With His one offering, there is no more offerings? So that tells me there's not going to be some reinstitution of some sacrificial system and Levites and priests be put back into order and doing tabernacle service, temple worship, temple service, because the fulfillment of that was in Christ Jesus. And He brought in and established the righteousness that all the people of God within Judah and Israel spiritually, both Old Testament and New Testament, would be under. His banner of righteousness is over us. His 
name is over us, so much so in union that we ourselves are called the righteousness of God. Now, brethren, that's, that's, I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting for a sinner who has no righteousness to know that in God's economy, we are the righteousness of God. Lastly, if you would, turn with me to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. Verse 10, it says, The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness. That goes right back to what we were saying. In the Lord there is righteousness. He has has made unto us righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness. What does it say here? It says, Come and let us declare in Zion... The work of the Lord our God. Why is it that we keep preaching again these things over and over and over again? Why is it that we keep pointing people to Christ Jesus and His work and we're not pumping up Israel, we're not pumping up Zionism, we're not pumping up um, free willism and decisionism as I said a while ago? And the reason I'm saying that is because these are all work systems and and conditional-based systems. Whether it's over ethnicity or whether it's by personal work, these are all conditional things that men have to be or do to receive the blessing. But all the blessings, as I've mentioned before, are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. That means they are unto all of us who are of the faithful seed of Abraham. Those of us who are given the faith of Christ, those are the ones who are the recipients of of all these spiritual promises in this spiritual kingdom. And I hope to preach about this kingdom uh, soon. I'm studying on this uh, now, and hopefully, as the Lord gives me to speak on it, I'll speak on it eventually. But here we see that it says, The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. So whenever we gather together, brethren, as Zion, the people of God in the church, whenever we gather together, we are to bring forth the praises of Him. Now I know we talked about, we just talked discussing it before here. We're talking about church history. We're talking about different people in this, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that there's some importance to that a little bit. But see, that's not where. You know, I don't believe something because this guy said it, this guy said it, this guy said it. This group of people believed it. This group of people believed it. If there's some chain link of something I can see in history. That's not why we believe anything. We believe everything that this thing says. As the Spirit gives us understanding of these things. This is the truth. Everything else is not the truth. 
It can testify to the truth if it's in accordance with the truth. But it is not the truth. This is the truth. Front to back. And so whenever we come together, why yes, we may talk about church history. We may talk about this preacher or that preacher. But ultimately, whenever we come together, it's not to exalt any of those. It's not to exalt a denomination. It's not to exalt some program. It's to exalt Christ Jesus. He's the one that did all the work. He's the one who is the one with all the blessings. We exalt Him. He's the one with all the grace, with all the mercy, with all the love, with all the compassion that has been given upon His people. Therefore, if we are to boast, let us boast in the Lord. And that's what He's saying here in verse 10. The Lord hath brought us, brought forth our righteousness. Therefore, come, let us declare in Zion the work of our Lord. Quit preaching about the works that you do. Quit preaching about the works that somebody else has done. Quit preaching about this, that, or the other. Preach Christ. He's the center figure of everything in Scripture. I want to leave you with one verse as we go here. Uh, Back in Isaiah 43. Now those were all admonitions that I just gave you, right? I was admonishing you to do that. We believe in admonishments, right? I I believe the Bible teaches that we are to admonish one another. We are to reprove and rebuke and correct with the Word of God, right? If I'm in error, I hope to be corrected by God's Word. I hope to be reproved. I hope people love me enough to take me aside and say, well, this is what the Word of God says. Not what your philosophy is, not what your creed or confession says, not what theologian X, Y, or Z said, but this is what the Scriptures say. And if the Spirit is kind to reveal that to be the truth, then grant me repentance and I will turn from that error, right? That's what our desire is, that's what our hope is, I hope that's what it is. I mean, I don't just ask, you know, willy-nilly every week. If does anybody have any questions, comments, corrections, rebukes, reproofs? That's not just me saying that to look good. Oh, that guy, he, you know, he's so humble. It's not that, because I believe that's actual part of the church. That's an actual thing. Paul laid that clear that in the church that if anybody has anything to say that let them stand up and say it and that they're that all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable and is profitable for one thing correction and rebuke and reproof training in righteousness why that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished that's why we ask that that's why we encourage that but it has to be in accordance with God's word so In Isaiah 43, verse 21, it says, This people have I formed for myself. Now remember, I just was talking about admonishments. We have admonishments, right? We admonish one another. 
But here's the other side of that coin. See, just like the Bible tells us to to, um, persevere, you have to persevere. Those who persevere to the end shall be saved. So to some people, that says, now I have a responsibility to persevere. So i got to get after it and, and lay hold of the means of grace so that I might persevere. I've got to do this or do that so that I will persevere. But see, the other side of that persevere coin is preservation. The reason anybody perseveres in the faith is because God is actively preserving them and keeping them from falling. Well, in the admonishment section, there's another side of that coin. While we admonish one another, there's also the promise of God working in us to complete and to do all the works that He has ordained for us to do. Look there, verse uh, 21. This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. See, while we admonish one, one another to praise God for the righteousness that He has given and bore for us, We're admonished to give Him praise, to give Him glory, to give Him the honor due to His name. We're we're given the admonishment of that. But the other side of that and the further truth of that is that it is God who worketh in you to will and to do. The further truth and the further understanding of that is that those who are truly saved, who have come under this righteousness and is unionized with the one who is righteous, who has been born from above, that has the Spirit of God in them, that Spirit will bring them to show forth His praise. So there, we know the people of God, by the praises that they're giving forth, and giving credit to where credit is due. Not to themselves. Not to their church, not to any activity, not to some bloodline. But they are given credit to Christ Jesus. Of Him and Him only am I in. Of Him and Him only am I righteous and given wisdom and sanctification. In Him and Him only am I accepted in the Beloved. In Him and Him only is the promises of God, yea and amen to me. And Him and Him only is their hope of eternal salvation. And Him and Him only is life and knowledge and enjoyment of Christ. And Him and Him only. Therefore, we give praise to Him and Him only. Alright, does anybody have any questions or any? Comments or corrections and reviews. I do mean that, honestly. All right. Let's go to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we once again bow before you this morning. The very God. who in flesh has come on our behalf and in front of 
all the world is displayed as righteous. All of God, the fullness of the Godhead, dwelling bodily, beside whom there is no other God, We're thankful, Father, that you have given us yourself and through the work of Christ has redeemed us to yourself. <coughs> and that whether we're rich or whether we're poor, whether we're black or whether we're white or any other color, whether we're smart or whether we're dumb, whether we're of this nationality or another nationality, whether we're male or female, it doesn't matter that you have called a people unto yourself out of all the world and that they, in their standing in Christ Jesus, have been termed righteous. Not because of anything that we have done, but we recognize you as the only righteous one and Father, we give glory and honor to you today for procuring that righteousness on our behalf, declaring us to be so, even though we are not. Lord, this truly is grace. This truly is mercy. And truly is love and compassion. For we don't deserve it, and we know we don't deserve it. So I pray, Father, that week after week as I share these things and as you lay these upon the hearts of your people and as they study your word and as they hear other preaching wherever it may be, Father, that it might not become mundane, that it might not become rote uh, for us to hear these things, that it might not become uh, just, uh, uh, just something that we uh, say but Father, truly, we realize and understand as the Spirit gives us knowledge and gives us enjoyment and experiential um, uh, uh, awareness that we truly are an undeserving people. But yet you have given us grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that the gospel may never get old to us. And we're thankful that we can see it from cover to cover in this uh, Bible. That you have never, ever, during this period of time, from Genesis until Revelation, have ever not had a people gathered for your name. Lord, and I thank you. And I thank you that you continue to uphold it. I thank you that you continue to look after it. And Father, that one of these days that we will be united with you physically, that we will be in your presence for eternity. Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to our time of being with you. And may it come quickly. Again, I thank you, Lord, for these brethren that you've gathered here today. And I ask that you would give them safety in their travels. That you'd be with them throughout the week. That you would sustain them as you have promised. <clears throat> Lord, as you grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, may their heart and mind be even more uh, experimentally um, uh, desirous of you and, uh, and, and 
glorifying uh, of your name. And again, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that it's been honoring to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.